during first service when we brought this uh, cabinet from the 1800s up on stage, uh, so, somebody from the crowd actually said, are they going to make someone disappear? And I thought, no, but we got to try that. We got to do that. You can uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. That in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to bookmark uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be in both. Did you know that America's most popular chocolate bar was made in 1930 by a man named Frank Mars? And he named that chocolate bar after his favorite horse, and it only sold for a nickel. Anybody know what it is? Snickers. Snickers. My, favorite, my, my favorite candy bar, Snickers. Do you know that Snickers are sold on six continents and rake in about $2 billion a year? You know that? When I first read that, I thought, come on, Antarctica. <laughs> Where are you having? Snickers could be everywhere, uh, but apparently not everywhere. Uh, if you're old enough, you may remember their commercial campaign uh, between 1996 and the year 2000. Hungry or why wait? It's hungry, why wait? Sorry, that did not go like I thought it was going to go. <laughs> you don't remember, and that's okay. It's just a chocolate bar. But they, they, they began their commercial campaign. This is going great. This is perfect. Every preacher wants this. Uh, <clears throat> 1996 to the year 2000, Hungry Why Wait? And then right after that, they spent $30 million on the tagline, Don't Let Hunger Happen to You. And then in 2010, they launched their most, uh, their most successful campaign, their most famous one during the Super Bowl, You're Not You When You're Hungry. There we go. Now, what's the pattern in all three of these? Hunger. You know, that's, that commercial that they launched back in 2010 was so successful that they've used it for several years after that. Here's one of their commercials, just to refresh your memory. Marsha, what happened? Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the desk like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. <laughs> it never is. If you, if you, if you notice at the end there, what was the what was the brand? What was the slogan? It says Snickers, satisfied. And there it is. That's the bait. Snickers, satisfied. For decades, they've been promoting a simple chocolate bar using a common need that every human being experiences, hunger. But they make sure to tell you that it satisfies because it works. They want you to believe it satisfies. Well, long before chocolate bars were even invented, Jesus used this longing to be filled to teach us about a more important desire, the hunger of your soul. Do you know that your soul gets hungry? just like your body? Maybe you long for a relationship or some satisfaction, some event, some experience, but it has nothing to do with how full or empty your stomach is, does it? Your soul gets hungry. With your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, I want to look at verse 6. We're on the fourth beatitude. It 
Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount in the beginning with the eight Beatitudes. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're continuing in our study of the Beatitudes, and today we're on the fourth blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And that idea of hunger and thirst is common. We all know it. It's a, it's a craving. A hunger and thirst is what you long for. What do you greatly desire? And he says, blessed are those who have that longing for righteousness. But what does he mean by righteousness? Well, there's two kinds of righteousness. There is the righteousness that God gives to you. Uh, The Bible scholars call that imputed righteousness. Uh, This is what Jeremiah prophesied about in Jeremiah chapter 23. There's a righteousness that God gives to you. In verse 6, he's giving this prophecy really about Jesus. He says, the Lord is our righteousness. He uses that as a name. And he's saying the Lord is our righteousness. The Apostle Paul connected this prophecy of Jesus to what he did for us on the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake he made him, being Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? We might become the righteousness of God. And so there is this righteousness that God gives to you, this imputed righteousness where God says you are justified and he declares us justified because of Jesus' righteousness. The idea is that God takes your sin when you give your, put your faith in him. When you think back 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, what happened at the cross? He took your sin and he put it on Jesus and he poured his wrath on Jesus and punished our sin on Jesus. But there was an exchange that happened. Not only did he punish our sins on Jesus, he took Jesus' righteousness and put it on you. He made you to become righteousness. There was an exchange there. Some Bible teachers call it the great exchange. And so there's the righteousness that God gives to us. But then there's secondly the righteousness that God calls you to. There's the righteousness that God gives to you and then the righteousness that God calls you to. God doesn't want us to receive the good news but then live bad lives. And that doesn't make any sense. He wants us to live out the good news. He wants us to follow him. He calls us to live righteously. And you can find this call in every book of the New Testament. In every single letter, there is a mention about you living righteously, walking according to the Spirit, living according to God's commands of following Jesus. Every single letter, God has chosen to put this in there so that you and I would live righteously. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, or maybe your verse is on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He wants us to die to sin and live to righteousness, righteousness, meaning live righteous lives. Paul also encouraged the church to fulfill God's righteousness by living in the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So walk means to live. We, we should not live according to the flesh. Don't just try to feed your earthly, fleshly desires, but live, walk according to the Spirit. Give in to the desires of the Spirit. 
So there's a righteousness that God gives to you when you put your faith in him. And then there's the righteousness he calls you to live out. And so there's that idea of righteousness. But here's the clencher. Is that really what we hunger for? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is that what you crave and feel is missing in your life? You know, you hear people all the time say, oh, I lack money. I lack time. I'm too busy. I I lack the skills needed for this. I lack, I lack. But when's the last time you heard someone say, I lack righteousness? When's the last time you admitted and thought, I lack righteousness? Being for food, or sorry, being hungry for food makes us human. But according to Jesus, being hungry for righteousness makes us blessed. We're all hungry. Maybe not right this second. Some of you are, like me. I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. But are you hungry for righteousness? Listen to the way the writer of Hebrews illustrates this truth. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. You know, God has given us spiritual rain. This is a metaphor. He's given us spiritual rain. He has provided His Word. He has told us what a righteous life looks like. He's not just given us commandments, but He's given us a way to know Him and to follow Him. We know the golden rule to treat others as you want to be treated, the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. God has blessed us with spiritual rain. Everyone in this room has some opportunity to know the righteousness of God. And that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about in chapter 6. If we hunger for it, this righteousness that he has rained on us, and we drink it up, and cultivate a life of righteousness, we will receive a blessing. Isn't this a wonderful promise from God? You know, I, I see deals on ads all the time on my social media, media or other ways. We get coupons in the mail. And they're always trying to give us a really good deal. Man, this is a deal you don't want to pass up. Have you ever thought about the promises, almost like a deal that God gives you through the Scriptures? He says if you hunger for it and you receive it, God says you will be blessed. Now, could anyone say you're not blessed if God declares you blessed? Don't you want that kind of blessing? We are truly blessed when we long for righteousness. The problem is there's a number of barriers that hinder us from a holy appetite. Some of us don't exactly hunger and thirst for righteousness all the time. Actually, none of us hunger and thirst for righteousness all the time, each of us has been through seasons and moments and, and, and situations in which we found out later we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So I want to give you two truths about hunger to illustrate this point. If you look on your program, it might say two kinds of righteousness. It really means two truths about hunger. Number one, a dead person isn't hungry. I know that seems obvious, but think about it. A dead person doesn't hunger and thirst. We know from Paul's letter to the Ephesians that before we were saved, we were what in our trespasses and sins? We were were dead. The Bible says that inside our spirit was dead. Our flesh was alive, meaning not just like the muscle and the sinew and the bone. It means 
our earthly desire for earthly satisfaction for worldly things like eating and, and lust and whatever your eyes could want and your stomach could want and your mind thought it would do good for you. Our flesh was very much alive, but our spirit was dead. The book of Romans addresses this at length. But when you put your faith in Jesus, he did what to your spirit? He raised it from the dead. He brought you to life. So first, you've got to be saved. Otherwise, you're only going to desire the things of this world. You, you have to be saved in order to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And for at least somebody in this room, you're not there yet. You have not put your faith in Jesus. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. For you to ever have a holy hunger, a holy appetite, you have to first give your life to him and say, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe in your son, Jesus. I want to give my life to him. Will you forgive me of my sins? I want to follow you. If you do that, the Bible says you will be saved. You will become a Christian and you will have a new hunger within you. If you remember our first week, we, we thought about the Beatitudes and we thought of three characteristics of the Beatitudes. This is a couple weeks ago. We thought through how, number one, they're paradoxical. They seem to contradict. You know, blessed are those who mourn. That's like saying happy are those who are sad. It's contradictory, but it's, it's not really a contradiction. It's a paradox. There, there's a way in which they seem to contradict, but they're not. Number two, they're proverbial. You know, they're short, pithy sayings. They, they're wisdom all on its own. You can use each blessing as its own proverb. And number three, they're progressive. And this is what is really helpful for the Christian life because this isn't just some blessings stuck together. This is a roadmap on how to live a blessed life and how to receive God's blessing in your life. This is how you grow. And we thought of it like a fruit tree. You have the root, the trunk, and the fruit, and the seed that comes out of it. That's persecution at the end. But you have the first three beatitudes. That's the root system, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, and those who are meek. The meek will inherit the earth. So there's this idea of the first three. That's like the root system of a blessed life. You have to humble yourself and you have to be ready to receive. And once you are there, you produce a hunger and thirst. Uh, like, a, like a tree trunk or a stem, it grows up and it's ready to receive the nutrients from God. That, that is the fourth beatitude, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. This represents a person who is humbled by their sin and God's grace. You're humbled by both. You're not just afraid and I'm going to die because of my sin, but you're also, just like uh, in the song Amazing Grace, was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. It's that same grace where you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So the idea is a person who's been born again, just like a baby that desires her mother's milk. As soon as they're born, they're crying, they're ready for warmth and they're ready for food. There's a new appetite that comes with the new birth. There's this inner hunger for righteousness. I want you to think back when you were saved. Do you remember when you first got saved? Uh, some of you, you were just on fire, right? You were just like reading the Bible, what felt like for the first time. You were understanding new truths. You just loved God. You were amazed by Jesus. Uh, maybe you even stayed awake in your first sermon. You know, like, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. I, I got saved at 16. I've been to church a few times before that, but after I got saved, I wanted to sit in the front. I opened my Bible. I had this NIV student Bible, and I, with a pencil or a pen, I was writing in notes. I couldn't get enough. Could you imagine that, someone not getting enough of a sermon? I just couldn't get enough. I wanted to know God. I wanted to know him personally. He was unlike everyone and anyone I ever knew before. 
I couldn't believe that he died for me, that he truly loved me. It just blew my mind. I couldn't get over it. And I was hungry. There's a hunger for righteousness when you become a, a new creation, when you're born again. But let's say you have been born again. Let's say, hey, Jack, you know, I've been a Christian for many decades, longer than you've been alive. Let's say you've been a Christian. What, how does a hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness fit in that? Because what happens? Do you remember when you first got saved and you were on fire? What happened after, I don't know, about month three is what it is for most people. All of a sudden, the hunger dies down. Life and distractions creep in. Somehow you gradually drift back into a life of feeding your flesh instead of your soul. You lose your hunger for righteousness because you're filling yourself with the wrong stuff. Which brings us to the second truth about hunger. Not only does a dead person not get hungry, a full person doesn't get hungry. If you're full, you don't get hungry. And that's what Peter gets at in his letter to Christians, his, what we know is his first letter. He writes this letter to Christians at a time when they were dispersed. They were kicked out of their homes and their hometown. They were scattered. They were persecuted. They had their own hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And he wrote about this very idea about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and he gave them a clue on what curbs that appetite and what ruins that appetite. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, Ridding yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It's one long run-on sentence. You know, an English teacher might get a little upset about this. It's just a really long idea. Paul wrote like that. Peter wrote like that. They wrote like that all the time. He needed a lot of ideas in one sentence because you had to make sense of it. So you have to take it piece by piece. In verse 2, we have the main verb. Now, I know you guys don't care about Greek, but I want you to imagine in this long run-on sentence that this verb, crave, is the only main verb in the entire passage. There's a way in this language that you can write and say, this is my main idea, and this is Paul Peter's main idea. I want you to crave, long for, greatly desire pure spiritual milk. But he doesn't start with verse 2, does he? Why not? Why, why does he wait until the next part of the sentence to begin his main thought? Who does that? Well, he's got to have a qualifier. He's got to tell you, Listen, you've got to do some things first before you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this is what we need to learn. He begins this thought with this idea. Therefore, ridding yourselves, it's a, it's a, part, it's a, it's a, ver, it's a participle. It's this verb that is like a noun and a verb stuck together. It's not the main idea. It's not the main verb. It's, it's conditional. It's leaning and resting on that verb crave. So it's this idea, if you want to know how to crave first, you have to rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind like newborn babies crave. So he begins with this because he wants you to know you're never going to be hungry unless you get rid of this. I have some items here I want to take out of this uh, awesome cabinet. Uh, here's some uh, Doritos. I don't know if anybody loves Doritos. Yeah, no, no. I need. Listen, we're, we're going through a hard time financially, so we're... Just gonna have to keep that. 
Uh, we've got Cheeto Puffs. My kids love Cheeto Puffs. I don't know how many of you guys like Cheeto Puffs. Oh, we've got these healthy Hostess donuts. Uh, just a healthy, balanced diet right there. Uh, we have a, a favorite. Now listen, I'm, this is not yours. Uh, but these are Mega Stuff Oreos. How many people love Mega Stuff Oreos? Love that. It's so good. We've got Mountain Dew, just in case uh, you don't want to live a long life. There's that. Uh, we got peanut M&Ms that are just my favorite. I love peanut M&Ms. So, now I have a question for you parents, if you've ever been a parent. Uh, I have a question for you. If it's about an hour and a half before dinner, and you know what you're about to make, and you're about to make some healthy stuff, and your kids came to you and said, oh, can I have this food? Can I just eat whatever I want? How many of you would say yes? Dictators. How could you not? Just meanie pants. You don't love your kids? No, of course. Of course you wouldn't let them fill up on this. Why? Because we have this phrase. We say, you'll spoil your, you'll spoil your appetite. If you get full on junk food, guess what you're not going to be hungry for? The good food. Do you know that you can spoil your appetite spiritually? You can spoil your appetite, your spiritual appetite. Peter gives just five. There's more. He doesn't give an exhaustive list on purpose. He gives five words, five ideas. These are things that, therefore, rid yourselves of all these. Then you will crave the pure spiritual milk. So I want you to think about these five items, that these five junk foods that Peter mentions of what you need to rid yourselves of. Number one, it's malice. This word just means ill will. It's an attitude that produces actions or words that hurt others. Malice. You got to rid yourself of that. You got to get rid of that. That needs to go in the garbage. So I want you to imagine, even though this is good, imagine this is malice. This is what God wants you to do in your life. Yeah. It it ought to be loud. Some of you need to wake up. (laughs) This is what God wants to do in your life. He uses the word deceit. Do you know that the Greek word deceit means to bait a hook? It's a fishing term. Do you know that fishing is a deceptive sport? Yeah. I mean, you're not breaking the ninth commandment when you go fishing. But it's a deceptive sport. You, You take the hook and you cover it up with something that is tasty. You play a trick or a lie, you manipulate, you cover the truth to gain advantage, and you can do this in your real life. You cover up the truth for personal gain, and you've got to rid yourself of that. He uses the word hypocrisy, pretending that you're something that you're not, being fake. You've heard the lesson, hypocrisy, it goes back to that term of a mask, being like someone in a tragedy or a comedy that's playing different parts or pretending you're one way or another. You're not, you're not having integrity. You're not being real. You wear a mask. Instead of hungering for God's righteousness, you hunger for your own reputation. The reason why you're fake is because you care about what you look like more than about how you really are. Now, I don't know which one is a more tempting junk food in your life. But is that in your life? Is there hypocrisy? Envy. Envy, that's kind of ugly. Envy is when you look around at others' good fortune 
And instead of being happy for them, you feel sorry for yourself. You know, you can't be grateful and envious at the same time. Is envy in your life? Is God trying to tell you, listen, the reason why you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness is because you've got some junk in your life that's spoiling your appetite. You need to get rid of it. Get rid of it. You know, hunger is natural, but an appetite can be cultivated. You can cultivate a good appetite. And then last, he uses slander. I don't think he used this last on accident. I think this is one of the most hurtful in church. Do you know that Peter's letter was not to lost people? It wasn't to the pagans, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the domineering, abusive men of that day. It was to the church. It was to you. Rid yourselves of slander. Slander means to to talk down about somebody, to say things negative about them. It includes gossip. You know the Greek word for gossip is diabolos? You know what else that word means? Devil. Slander. You know the devil's known as the accuser. He slanders night and day those who belong to God. And the church does the devil's work when we slander. We talk bad about one another. We divide. Why? I'll tell you this. When you slander, you're, you are not hungry and thirsty for righteousness, no matter what you hypocritically show to people around you. You talking about people behind their backs? One thing the Bible has made clear You are a hypocrite. And the reason why that hunger and thirst is not there, and you don't want to admit that to anyone, you don't want to tell anybody, it's hard to admit that you're in a season, man, I just feel spiritually dry. Where is this dry spell coming from? You know where it's coming from? You've got junk in your life, and God is wanting to do this. He's wanting you to get that out of your life. You you can't have that in your life if you're still going to be hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness. So what's in the pantry of your life? What do you have in your life that is spoiling a good, holy appetite? What's sad is all five of these can be found on all of our devices. We live in a unique day. You know, Peter didn't have iPads and smart TVs and smartphones. I want you to listen to this because I think this is pertinent to us today. If you're full on the hot and ready entertainment and drama of Hollywood and showbiz, you will not be hungry for the real-life drama and work that God is wanting to do in your own life. I, I have family members that watch soap operas, and when I was younger, I didn't understand why. I thought, you have so many problems in your real life. Why are you watching TV? You guys have so much drama. You're like a living soap opera. And some of them still are. I hope they're not watching today, actually. But they are. And it never occurred to me until I was older. It's the very reason why they watch soap operas. It's because it's a distraction. 
They're trying to avoid the own drama and the conflict and the pain in their own life, so they want to watch drama somewhere else. What junk food do you have stocked in your life? Because if you fool yourself with the slander and malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy of entertainment, it's almost the same as letting it right in your home, right in your heart. You will not be hungry. You will not be thirsty for righteousness. In order to cultivate a holy appetite, you have to rid your life of junk food. You have to put away unrighteousness before you're able to truly hunger and thirst for righteousness. So how would you describe your own hunger and thirst for righteousness? How would you describe it? Do you feel like recently, I have been that hungry? God is inviting you. He's calling you to himself. He's giving you wisdom. He's giving you truth so that the truth will set you free. There is likely something in all of our lives, me included. I had to deal with this all week. There, there is likely something in your life that's keeping you from a deeper, more satisfying hunger and thirst for righteousness. What have you been feasting on this week? What have you been feasting on? Do you remember what the turning point was for the famous prodigal son? You remember what it was? Luke chapter 15. It's actually, it starts in verse 16. That's not the story, but that's where the turning point happens. The turning point happens when the prodigal son realizes how ridiculous it was for him to long for and hunger after the slop that the pigs were eating. In verse 17, it says, he comes to his senses and he says, how many of my father's hired workers eat and are well fed and I'm sitting here dying of hunger and I'm hungering after that? That was the turning point for the prodigal son. And for some of us, that may be the turning point for you. God is speaking to your heart, I pray right now, that you realize what is it, what slop, what junk Am I feeding off of and hungering for that's keeping me from my father's good food? That even the lowest of the low in his house get better than that. You know, junk food is the only kind of food that, doesn't, that bites back. Other than Mexican food, if you've had bad Mexican food. But junk food is the only food, the only kind of food that bites back. What junk food is in your life? Because what God has to offer is so much better in the end. That's why Peter ends his one sentence, by the way, with verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You've tasted it. Tasted means you've experienced it. Right? If you know personally, do you remember what it was like when you were on fire for God and you were reading his word and it was filling your soul and you could taste it, you were drinking it in? Do you remember what it's like when you just felt like, man, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm just, I am just hungry and thirsty for him. I'm just reaching after him. Do you remember that time? Wasn't he so good? Wasn't it so satisfying? Put away that junk food. A while ago, a long time ago, actually, many years, uh, well, not many, many years, but my, ki- my two sons were the only ones born. Uh, we were living in Tennessee, and Courtney worked as a nurse, and I was home a lot, and I decided I was going to eat healthy. I watched a Netflix video about vegetables and juicing and other things, and I thought, I need to get a hold of my life. So I, I ate salads with, uh, the dressing was uh, 
extra virgin olive oil and some salt. I ate vegetables and only healthy stuff, not a processed anything for two days straight. <laughs> okay, it was hard, okay? <laughs> there's, there's more to this story. Anyway, two days straight, I felt really good about it. I really did. Physically, I felt different. I felt good about it. I was really excited. And the next day, the third day, uh, I think it was the kids. Maybe we were all together. But we were eating. uh, Maybe we went to the mall, and we were going to have a Dairy Queen. And it was my favorite Dairy Queen shake. And I think it was like a French silk, I don't know, something, some kind of Dairy Queen drink. And I was like, "Uh, I should have one. And so I'm going to have some. And I tasted it. You know what? It didn't taste that good. I was shocked. And when I went home that night, we had fresh uh, strawberries and blueberries and other things, and I ate a fresh fruit, and I remember thinking, the best dessert in the world is a ripe, fresh fruit. And it was because I had gotten rid of, I know for only two days, but I had gotten rid of all this processed sugar and this junk. Some of you don't know how sweet and good and how much better it is because you're stuffing your soul with junk. We began the service with Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10. I want to read it to you one more time. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. You know, the the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the Bible says in order to do that, I may have some things that I need to get rid of. What about you? Let's pray and the worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us through one more song as we worship God together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning and this time together. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You are so much better than everything else we foolishly give ourselves to. The false idols that never satisfy, that that never, that never fulfill. Would you help us be a church that hungers and thirsts after you? Would you use us as salt and light in this world? Would you open the door for your word? Would you start a revival here in Newton and in this church? We just rebuke all the malice and envy and deceit and hypocrisy and slander that we have all partaken of. We don't want that. Would you fill this place? Would you fill our hearts? We are now the temple. Would you change us? We lift our hands to you. We lift our hearts to you. We bow our knees to you. Would you please do a great work in our church family? We cannot survive without you. Though the world fades away, we know your word will always stand. Help us to stand on your word. Help us to be your faithful servants that show the world how good it is to taste and see the Lord. We love you because you first loved us. All honor and glory and praise belong to you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.